morning, friends. Welcome to The Well. If you're new with us, we want you to know that you're our guest and we're thrilled you're here. Uh, my name is Ryan Gear. I have the privilege of being the pastor here. And if you'd like to let us know you're new, just text the word welcome to 480-530-7234. It'll text you back with a, a little digital connect card. Uh, fill it out, tell us about yourself, and you'll get information about The Well. And uh, thank you for being here this morning. So this is week four of our series, Distressed, Living in an Age of American Anxiety. And if you think you might be feeling more anxiety than usual, just go with your gut. Trust your instincts on this one because 2020 is not messing around. You're probably right. And the Census Bureau tracks how Americans report our anxiety and depression levels. And as of last month, 35% of Americans reported symptoms of anxiety that could be diagnosed as generalized anxiety disorder. That was up five points from January alone. It was double what it was six years ago. And so we are living in one of the most anxious times in American history. And uh, today we're talking about relationship anxiety. We're living uh, in the time of COVID when we're cooped up during the quarantine. Um, if you're married, maybe you're getting to know your spouse more than you want to actually. And, and so families are uh, you know, pressed together more than we have been before, and for some of us, that's an adjustment. If you're a parent, your, your children might be in online school right now at home, and, and you are realizing that math teachers should be uh, paid like professional athletes. I mean, my son, uh, my oldest son is, is nine years old. He's in fourth grade, and he asked me to help him with his math this past week. I had to Google the answers. Uh, like, I'm like, let me think about it, and I'm Googling. You know, remember the show, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? No, no, I'm not actually. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful they didn't just lower the age group, fourth grader, third grader, because I'm not sure I would be. And so there's this extra stress if you have children at home right now in online school. And if you're like my family, my wife is a teacher who's going to school tomorrow in person with a classroom full of kids during a pandemic. And so that brings a whole other level of stress for our family. If you're not married, if you live alone, Maybe you feel lonely, maybe you feel isolated right now. And, and that brings its own unique uh, levels of anxiety. So uh, COVID-19 has disrupted the norms that we were all used to living in and has instantly put an enormous amount of stress on our relationships. Um, most anxiety that couples face is connected to finances. And so if that's you, just a couple of weeks ago, I gave a sermon series on financial anxiety. You can go back and watch that at wellchurch.org. But uh, USA Today ran an article in June asking whether divorce rates will rise during COVID-19. The author Maria Puente writes, the now familiar stresses of quarantine, money worries, boredom, lack of escape from each other, conflicts over the kids, conflicts over chores, lack of exercise are forcing many couples to reconsider how they really feel about their partners say lawyers and marriage counselors, right? A life coach named Lee Wilson said, if a couple is having trouble, most of their interactions will be neutral or negative, but now tension is constant. It's constantly in their face and they're not able to have their typical routines like doing their own things. So relationship stressors right now are off the charts. I mentioned our nine-year-old son and, and my wife and I have realized that He's having a pretty hard time with the shutdown. He loves school. 
He loves hanging out with his friends. And several times he has broken down crying and saying, you know, why can't I hang out with my friends? Why can't, why can't I go play, you know, play, play ball with my friends? And, and he's having a really hard time with it. And so we've had to make some adjustments and learn some things about how to help him. I actually gave him my old iPhone and he doesn't have a phone number. We've restricted access to the internet. And so we have, you know, parental controls on there, but it allows him to um, video chat with his friends. And so he's able to keep in touch with them through technology. And then another thing we've learned is how to show empathy to him um, in his pain, in his feelings of isolation. How do we as parents, and this is true whether it's, it's a parent-child relationship we're talking about or any relationship, how do we as parents show empathy to him? How many of you would agree that empathy is a lost art in our culture right now? We could all use a lot more empathy in America. So what we've learned with our son is that um, empathy is one of the greatest things he needs from us right now. And, and empathy, by the way, is the ability to enter into somebody else's pain, to suffer with them, to, to, to come alongside them and feel what they're feeling, to walk a mile in their shoes. And, and so um, we've had to really make sure that we're showing empathy to him uh, in this difficult time. When I was in seminary, for two years, I was in the, the clinical counseling cohort. And so I'm not a clinical counselor, I'm not qualified to, to counsel. But for two years, I was in this cohort, and then like the program split off, I went the pastor route, other people went the clinical counseling route. But I got two years of exposure to, to the world of, of clinical counseling. And one of my professors was a, just an amazing lady named Teresa Davis. She was a clinical counselor and, and she knew grief. She knew pain because she and, and her husband lost uh, a teenage son. And I will never forget being in her class and, and having Teresa Davis teach us about how to make an empathy statement to somebody. Tell me if this is true for you. Have you had this experience where you shared something, you know, maybe it's really tough for you to share, and you were talking to a friend, and, and, and as soon as you were done sharing, it's like they used your talking to just jump into a springboard about their own stuff, and you're, you're thinking, like, did you actually hear a word I said? And so that's not empathy. We've, we've all had that experience. And, and Teresa said, that's really the norm. For human communication where we don't really listen to each other. We, and empathy, while it comes more naturally to some than others, empathy is just something that we need so much more of, no matter what time we're living in, but especially right now. And so Teresa Davis taught us how to make an empathy statement, an empathy statement. So here's how an empathy statement would work. And if you are having trouble communicating in your family, you're, you're, you're all just feeling more anxiety and, and the emotion is ratcheted up right now, during the shutdown, maybe practicing empathy statements could be something that would be helpful. So an empathy statement might look like this. Let's say you and I were, were having coffee 20 feet apart from each other. And, and you said to me, hey, Ryan, I'm, I'm having a really hard time during the shutdown. I have financial stress. I feel lonely. Um, I'm concerned about my health. I know I'm not getting the exercise I need, especially here in, in Phoenix where it's you know, 115, I can't go outside and, and, you know, I'm just having a really hard time right now. An empathy statement that I could make to you might go something like this. 
Yeah, it sounds like we're living in really difficult times and you just feel overwhelmed right now. You just feel like there, you have stress from all kinds of different areas right now. And if I got it right, if I accurately reflected your feelings back to you, you might say, yeah, that is right. And then you might share some more about that because good empathy statements can invite us to share more because we know we're being heard. We know we're being listened to. We know our emotions matter. And, and so you can, you can share more. It invites a person to share more about what they're going through. And so an empathy statement might look like this in, in your, your home with your family, or if you live alone with, with friends, with, with family members, and they're telling you, um, you know, I just have so much going on right now and I feel alone and, and I'm worried about COVID. I have an underlying condition and I'm worried I might get it. An empathy statement coming from you to them might look something like, yeah, you, you feel a lot of anxiety right now because you're afraid of what might happen to you. And they'd be like, yeah, yeah. And they might share more with you because they know that you've heard them. You've listened to them. You've entered into their pain. You've, you've felt their feelings. You have empathized with them. So uh, it's not uncommon when people really receive a good empathy statement and they know somebody is really listening to them, that they just break down crying. Because let's think about it. It's just so rare in our culture that we really feel like somebody's listening to us and not just using what we're, what we're sharing to springboard into their own you know, issues. And a lot of times the floodgates just open because that's what we all need especially in a time like this. Maybe as corny as it seems, sitting down and practicing empathy statements with each other. I'm sure my wife is saying amen right now. Yeah, Ryan, we could, we could, we could make this happen. Maybe practicing empathy statements with each other or with family and friends through technology would be at least a way to help each other deal with the anxiety that we face. So, uh, and I realize half of the people in our church are not married. There's, you don't have a romantic relationship. Half of American adults are single, by the way, if you, if you didn't know that. So um, uh, you're, not, you're not alone, that's for sure. If you are married or you have a significant other in your life um, and, and you're living under the same roof right now, it, it might bring an extra challenge. And, and a local news channel interviewed uh, some couples coaches about how families can see COVID-19 as an opportunity actually to grow closer to each other, even while it threatens to pull us apart. And I wanted to show you this quick video. It's about three minutes long of these couples counselors talking about how couples can help each other navigate through COVID-19. Let's watch. We've been at each other's throats real bad really real bad over the last couple oh yeah, yeah it just ended like eight minutes ago <laughs> actors Kristen bell and husband dax shepherd recently talked on the today show about how they're at each other's throats being cooped up in their house all day long a lot of couples are spending a lot more time with each other these days more than they usually do right they're working from home they're homeschooling you've got that stay at home order so we brought in two couples coaches, husband and wife, to give us some tips to help us navigate this crazy time. I saw a funny video the other day of a woman hiding in her closet. She's like, who is this in my house? <laughs> <laughs> 
everyone is getting to know their significant other a lot better these days. A lot of people have never been together this much, which has its own particular, you know, good or bad. It's a lot. Working from home, homeschooling, stay-at-home order. We brought in Leslie and Doug Gustafson, who combined have 70 years of couples coaching under their belts to help us with this new normal for couples. Well, I think the, the first thing that we all, whether you're uh, married or an individual, is that the mental state you're in and whether or not you're really being fearful or hopeful. Our mindset, our attitude is probably number one, how we're approaching this. And I think it's the fear and the stress and the anxiety that is elevated for people that's putting everything more at risk. And we have the capacity to hold on to joy or hope if we are intentional about it. Next, you need your space, she needs hers. How do you go about it? You've got to sort out that togetherness versus individuality. You always do, no matter what in a relationship. True. But you really do now. Yes, and so really loving, loving honest conversation about what you need if there's marital difficulties it was easier before if one person was out of the house mm -hmm. because that avoidance probably preserved the state of the marriage although the marriage was probably questionable and now when people are back together it's like oh and here we are uh, <laughs> and turns out we have some issues to work on and they suggest learning to be together in a new way you know start going for walks together establish new things yes go for a walk together go yes. on bike rides as a family this i believe if we have the right perspective is a tremendous opportunity for intimate relationships, for family, for togetherness, for nurturing the relationships that have been neglected. And although we're feeling stuck and we don't know when we'll come out the other side, sometimes it's nice to look toward the future. And it couldn't hurt to spend some time dreaming down the road. When this is over, let's do this. Yeah. Or let's plan yeah. for this because dreams and hope for the future definitely sustain us and uplift us. I just love them. They are so adorable. So Leslie and Doug also said an added benefit of parents being around each other and reconnecting and doing these things together. It's really great for the kids. It's great for the kids to see. And kind of the same goes the other way, Marty. You know, if kids are seeing parents fighting a lot, they can't be in the same room. It affects them as well. So this is a really great time to strengthen that bond, just have that open communication about, okay, I just need a little time out. I'm going to go down to my man cave right now and just hang out for a little while. Wasn't that good? And by the way, if you feel like seeing a, a counselor would help you, I can refer you to a counselor. Reach out to me on Facebook, uh, and, and I would be glad to refer you to a counselor. But um, when the weather was cooler, you know, Hannah would uh, kind of gather us all. My wife, Hannah, would gather us all up, and we'd go out on bike rides, and we'll do that again as soon as it cools down a little bit, or go play catch in the park. We played, we played Uno together. We uh, play music together. My boys both play you know, guitar and drums and sing, and we've had dance parties in the house. And, and Hannah and I have also had more conversations and, and better, deeper conversations about our future, our long-term plans than we ever had. So I hope that's helpful to you. And now you may feel when you see a video like that, well, that doesn't really apply to me, you know, because, because I, I live alone and, and, you know, you don't have people in your house. And so it, you're dependent on technology or getting together. Um, to, to meet with people or to try to have conversations, regardless of your, your living situation. Perhaps COVID is an opportunity for us to realize something that is always true, but it's even more true right now. You and your loved ones are united in fighting a common enemy right now. 
it's easy to, to be stressed out or to be, to be irritable and feel like, you know, we're, we're fighting each other, we're arguing with each other. But the big picture is, the truth is, reality is, we, whether we want to be or not, we're united together in fighting a common enemy. We're fighting a virus together. We're fighting uh, economic realities that are tearing people's lives apart. Uh, we're fighting anxiety itself, fear, worry. We're fighting a system, let's be honest, in the United States that is not very good at handling pandemics. And so a lot of us are suffering more than we need to because we're just not very prepared as a people to deal with that. So we, we are united right now in fighting a common enemy. We're all in the same boat, whether we want to be or not. That's just a truth of our time. And so I think we have the opportunity to refuse to let COVID-19 infect our relationships. Just, just make up our minds and make a declaration together. We are not going to let a virus infect our relationships. We're united against a common enemy. Maybe you do live alone and you're feeling lonely. One of the, one of the hardest things for me about not having in-person church right now is knowing that for a lot of folks, church is one of their biggest sources of community. You know, in, in our church, we're portable. And so we had our road crew where a bunch of us would just descend on this elementary school and, and we pull up this 24 foot long race car trailer with, with all of our church equipment and, and we set up and, and we have all these people who serve in, in different ministries and people show up and, and you have hugs and just how you doing and checking in and, and no, that's just not there right now. And I know for some people that leaves a hole. It does for me. It leaves a hole in our lives when we don't have that kind of community. So one of the things that has been really important for us to do here in the well, at least, is to offer online connection. So, for example, we have an online connect group on Wednesday nights. And I know I've plugged this a lot, but I mean, maybe now is the time where if you don't, if you don't have a kind of community, a sense of community that you know you need, maybe now is the time to scroll down the Facebook page and look for a graphic that looks like that and click on it. And you can, you can you know, get more information uh, on, on Facebook uh, because they have a group Facebook page as well about this group. Or we have Pub Theology coming up on September 1st, the first Tuesday of every month through Zoom. Uh, we have uh, just a gathering where you grab a beverage, whether it's water or something a little more strong, whatever, whatever works for you, and we just chat for an hour. And this coming pub theology is going to be more casual, get to know you, just talk about how we're dealing with anxiety and, and the shutdown and tell us what you're drinking. And, and we're just going to get to know each other. Um, and for the group, the Online Connect group and pub, uh, pub theology, you can get more information on our website, wellchurch.org. But that's why we're doing this is because so many of us need to use technology to, to experience community with each other. So moving on, maybe your relationships are stressed right now because of our political situation. There is so much anger and division and misinformation, propaganda in the United States right now. It is pulling families and friendships apart. I know people who can barely talk with their spouse now because their spouse is just ranting and raving about the latest, probably not even true information they saw on, you know, quote unquote, cable news and they can't really talk anymore. So many people can't really have a, a, a deep, meaningful conversation with their parents anymore because of the information that they're consuming. Maybe 
your source of relationship anxiety has something to do with politics. Somebody in our church posted this on their Facebook page, and they took a picture of it in our neighborhood. I don't know if you can see it or not, but you know, in, in our area, probably like yours, there are political signs on like every street corner. Some amazing human being put this sign out. It says, any functioning adult 2020. Isn't that amazing? Whoever you are, God bless you. We need more of you in this world. Any functioning adult 2020. It just feels like that, doesn't it? There's so much anxiety and division and anger affecting our relationships that comes from politics. Now, I'm going to put something up on the screen that might seem a little trite at first, but let me explain what I'm talking about. Our political dysfunction does not have to lead to relationship dysfunction. Now, please let me say this. I don't mean pretending that everything's fine. I don't mean when, when you're encountering a friend or family member who's saying something and you're like, where did they get that? What, what, what kind of off-the-wall conspiracy theory is my friend into? I'm not talking about just, just ignoring it and pretending like they didn't say it. What I'm talking about is not allowing dysfunction in our culture to make your relationships dysfunctional in this way. Challenging somebody when you hear something that's not true, that's not dysfunction. That's honesty. That's communication. That's a good thing. Communication is a good thing for relationships. If that person is not interested in communication, here's what a functional relationship can look like. It means you don't see that person's Facebook posts anymore. For some people, a functional relationship looks like setting clear boundaries. We're just not going to talk about this stuff. It might actually require saying to somebody, listen, I love you, therefore I don't want to talk about these things with you because you and I don't agree and I would like to value you more than our opinions, so let's just not talk about it. And now, let's be honest, there are people who aren't going to do that. I've said before, you don't owe somebody a discussion who's not interested in a discussion. I think somebody commented on our church Facebook page or something, like you don't owe anybody a discussion, period. That's true. But if you, if you want to discuss things with people, you don't owe somebody a discussion who's not interested in a discussion. And dysfunction looks like trying to have a discussion with somebody who's, who's just not into it. So maybe a functional relationship looks like boundaries. I'm just not going to have that discussion. So not being dysfunctional in your relationships because of politics, it doesn't mean pretending. It doesn't mean, you know, sweeping things under the rug. But it looks like healthy communication. And if that can't exist, then no communication until we can have healthy communication. Um, something else that might be helpful, it might not, depending on your situation. I don't know how bad it is in your relationships, but maybe this would be helpful. We live in a country right now that is so divided, in my opinion, primarily or at least mostly because we have two medias in the United States. We have conservative media and news channels and radio and internet and blah, blah, blah. 
and progressive news channels and, and radio and internet, blah, blah, blah. And when you hear somebody in your family or a friend of yours say something, and, and you're just like, how in the world could anybody think that? How could they think that about this person or this situation? Or how, how could they think that this particular conspiracy thing is actually happening? How could they think that? The answer is, they're getting their source of news and reality from a different source than you are. We don't even have the same sources of information in the United States anymore. We can't even agree on what the facts are, on what reality is. Because we have these two sources of media. Uh, I, uh, I have a friend who asked me recently about the presidential election and what I thought about that. And what I shared was, I think we need a new 21st century version of the fairness doctrine. Maybe you're familiar with what that is, but, um, but the FCC, the Federal Communication uh, Commission, was, um, uh, was uh, created in 1934 as a way to basically make sure that American broadcasters, at that time it was radio, were fair and how they reported the news and, in, and the, the facts, quote unquote, that they put out on the airwaves. And then in 1941, uh, the Mayflower Doctrine was put into, wall, or put into law that, uh, that prohibited editorializing on the radio. So in 1941, in the United States, we had a law that you couldn't just broadcast your opinion on the radio and call it fact or call it news. Imagine that for a second. And of course, there was no TV really at that point. So the broadcast media in the United States was radio and you couldn't just give your opinion as though it were fact. Of course, World War I or World War II was happening during that time. And we, we realized that we had to be unified as a country. But what else was happening in World War II? Hitler was using propaganda to convince his people that they, they should try to take over the world and that they should scapegoat Jews and other minority groups. And, and leaders in our country were seeing this is what happens when you just allow anybody to say anything and claim that it's true through American broadcasting sources. We can't do this. And then in 1948, we passed what was called the Fairness Doctrine. And the Fairness Doctrine mandated two things. Number one, broadcasters did have to talk about controversial issues, but they had to talk about those issues in a way that was viewed as fair and equitable and factual. And so it didn't mean that you couldn't have an opinion it's just that you also had to present some kind of other opinion as well. And based on factual information, in other words, you had to make an attempt at journalism, at actually living in the real world, whatever you put on TV or radio at that time. The, the Fairness Doctrine was eliminated in 1987. And here we are. There are folks who just saw that opportunity and they ran with it as far as they possibly could. And through radio and TV and online sources and, and you know, internet and social media, they have twisted reality, put out biased information claiming it was news, and now we're in a place where your friend or family member can live in a reality that is different than yours. 
And friends, I would suggest that a country cannot function like we can't keep doing that and expect to continue as the United States of America. I think we need a new 21st century version of the fairness doctrine. That television and radio and internet news and social media is responsible for making sure that the content they produce or the content they share is fair and equitable and is an attempt at least at practicing real journalism. Like I would imagine like, yeah, on a a news show, like a, a news host could give their opinion, but for, you know, for the three minutes that they're sharing their opinion editorial, it actually says opinion in the corner of the screen. And, and that we just get serious about not letting misinformation be sold to the American public as though it were facts to the point that we can't even agree on what's real anymore. My point in saying all that is if you and your family member, your, your friend can't even hardly talk anymore. One of the things we have to realize is that there are folks in our country now who are being brainwashed into believing like wildly uh, untrue conspiracy theories and it's growing. And we're all responsible for what we believe and what we choose to consume. And at the same time, your friend or family member has fallen victim to brainwashing and indoctrination and propaganda. And maybe, maybe they're able to see that and, and maybe they're not. But I, I don't know if that's helpful or not. Maybe depending on, on how bad it is in your relationships, maybe it's not so helpful. But for me, with some people at least, it's helpful to realize, you know, they're indoctrinated by a system that is dividing us on purpose. So one last thing about reducing the level of anxiety that we experience in our relationships. COVID-19 has reminded us that we cannot take our loved ones for granted. So many times... Uh, during the shutdown, I have looked at my wife and my two sons for just a second longer than I did before. When my boys play, when my wife is, is working, you know, teaching from home, now she's going to be going to school, but I just look at them for just a second longer. And I just enjoy seeing my family. I just take it in. Because we know now that over 170,000 Americans have lost their lives to COVID. And I don't even want to go there. I don't even want to think about that. But it's, it's back there. And I just want to enjoy the time I have with my family. I hope it's 50 more years for me, but we don't know. And so I just want to enjoy the time I have and not take them for granted. Most of you probably know uh, who Rob Bell is. Uh, if not, Rob Bell used to be a pastor. Now he's a speaker and an author. And, and uh, about a year or so ago, he came to the Mesa Arts Theater uh, near where we live. And he gave a talk called Introduction to Joy. And, and he started his talk with about 30 minutes of stand-up comedy. It was just like a half an hour of straight stand-up. He, he, he showed pictures on a screen that he had that were just funny that he had, that he had found and, and just kind of riffed on that for about 30 minutes. And um, I wanted to show just like a one minute video 
of, uh, of a couple of things, just in, as, an, as an example of what he shared. And this is a disclaimer. We're in church. One of the photos has some language in it. Uh, I don't think he says it, but it's on the photo. So I just wanted to let you know that. But I wanted to play you a minute of uh, Rob Bell introduction to joy. Let's watch. Maybe you're not in one of those moments. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're ready to protest. Maybe you're ready to sh shake your fist and rage against the machine because you're tired of this and you're about to let your voice be heard. So you've made a cardboard sign and you're going downtown to a protest because you want to let people know you're sick and tired of this. <laughs> not usually a sign guy, but geez. Or this cosmic grandma that we all love. Uh, <laughs> yes. Or maybe you're not asleep, and maybe you're not angry carrying your sign downtown. Maybe you're Daquan, and you're just giving us the gift that you give us. You're just doing what you do in the world. What does Daquan put on his tax form for vocation? I just spread eternal sunbeams of light and unicorns wherever I go. <laughs> Can't believe I still have to protest this stuff. And so Rob you know, gave about 30 minutes of stand-up comedy. And when you laugh that much, for a half an hour, there's a sense of catharsis that you kind of get your emotion out and you're more open to what he's about to say. And I realized as a speaker, he knew he had to do that because the point of his talk was a, a verse from the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible, chapter one, verse two. And it goes like this. The author of Ecclesiastes says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless everything is meaningless. There's your daily inspiration, uh, courtesy of the well. That's like the equivalent of, of Chris Farley's Matt Foley, the motivational speaker who lived in a van down by the river. Like you read this, you're like, what? Like that's in the Bible? Okay. Meaningless, huh? And, and so Rob, being Rob Bell, you know, he, he, he dived into, uh, or dove, I'm not sure, the, the Hebrew the original Hebrew, because this was written in Hebrew, meaning of the word meaningless. Uh, and the, the word meaningless, yeah, I mean, it works as a translation. In other parts of, of Ecclesiastes, it's, it's translated as vanity. All is vanity, like in vain, you know. Um, but then uh, Rob shared how it's the word, the Hebrew word, havel. The, the word we translate meaningless is the Hebrew word havel. Havel means vapor or breath. Like if you, if you live in a cold climate and you go out when it's cold and, and you can see your breath. So the word that we translate meaningless here is Havel, vapor or breath. And Rob picked up a spray bottle. And throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, here's the point that the author is making about life that when you look at the grand scheme of things, the big picture of 13 billion years of our universe, and then we compare our lives to the big picture, the grand scheme of things, 
our lives are a vapor. Contrasted with all of human existence even. And all of human history that we're aware of, even for the past few thousand years, our lives go by so quickly. You know, the, the 60, 70, 100 or more for the luckiest folks, our lives in the, in the grand scheme of things are just a vapor. And the author of Ecclesiastes puts forth this idea that when your life is a vapor, and it's, it's here today and it's gone tomorrow, and it's so temporary, it's so fleeting, when you know that your life is a vapor, you are now set free to enjoy the time you have. If your life is a vapor, you might as well enjoy your relationships while you can. While you can. can you see why Rob had to do like 30 minutes of stand-up comedy before he said that? Like otherwise, it's just kind of depressing. Like we're all going to die. So enjoy, enjoy your, your life now. Have a good day. Right? So you kind of have to, you have to you give people some, some laughter before you spring that on them. But, but then being Rob Bell, as soon as he said this, like everybody's like laughing and crying at the same time. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's a great speaker right there. But if your life is a vapor, perhaps you're actually freed to see life as it really is and enjoy your relationships while you can. This is challenging to Americans. Because without even realizing it, so many of us have a view of life that is opposite this. And we just think that if we just keep working really hard and, and, and just staying busy all the time, someday we'll be able to stop and enjoy life. Well, I don't have time to hang out with my family right now. I got to work so hard. I got to work for retirement and, and I'm just going to put in 30 years and, and my company will give me a little knickknack to thank me for the 30 years and then I'll retire and then I can enjoy life and then perhaps die soon after that. Wasting all of these years planning to be happy someday, planning to enjoy life sometime, out, way out in the future somewhere. No. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, when you realize that your life is a vapor, you are strangely freed to enjoy today, to live today, to look at your loved ones you know, for an extra few seconds and enjoy the time that you have with them because we're not guaranteed anymore. Our lives are but a vapor. If that is depressing to you, can I just say as gently as possible, that probably means that you haven't done the work of living in reality. It probably means that you've been stuck in this mentality where you're going you're gonna to enjoy life sometime you know, out there somewhere when life is in front of you right now. And there are so many things to enjoy. Life is but a vapor. And so you can enjoy the relationships that you have now. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 
Jesus says, I, I have come that they might have life and have it to the fullest extent, that they might live life to its fullest extent, wringing out everything that life has to offer, enjoying the moment right now, enjoying our loved ones now, enjoying what we have now, because life is a vapor. And we don't know that there's going to be some other time to enjoy it. So Jesus says, I have come that they might have life more abundantly, some of the translations say, or life to its fullest extent right now. Now, that might sound, well, it is, it is difficult because it's such an adjustment. It might sound even more difficult during COVID. But isn't this true? What we say we believe, what we say is important. We don't know if we actually believe it or how important it is to us until it's tested. It's easy to say enjoy life, you know, until you have so many things around you that are tempting you not to. But it's those very things that make it plain. Oh, life is a vapor. 170,000 plus Americans have died. Life is a vapor. And so I can, I can live in this moment and enjoy my loved ones, enjoy my relationships, enjoy what I have right now because I'm not guaranteed anything else. We're living in one of the most anxious times in American history. And, and yes, maybe it's COVID and the shutdown and the economic hardship. We have people in our church who have lost jobs. The financial stress is building on you. Maybe you're trying to teach kids you know, online at home and you're thinking, how can I do this? Maybe you're bickering with your spouse. Maybe you, maybe you live alone and you feel isolated. Maybe it's, you know, you've lost relationships practically because of the political division in our country. We are united in fighting a common enemy. We are in the same boat together. And that doesn't minimize the difficulty there are, there are some relationships that are not going to be functional and you have to set boundaries. That's a truth. It's always true, but it's, it's especially true probably right now. And at the same time, many of us can decide, I'm not going to let COVID-19 infect my family, infect my relationships, infect my loved ones. I'm not going to let a virus tear us apart. I'm not going to let brainwashing and intentional propaganda in this country ruin my relationships. Once again, there are relationships where you may have to set boundaries. But for many of us, there are relationships where we could just set some ground rules. We're not going to talk about this. We're not going to go there. Or are you sure that that news source is reliable? I mean, yes, there are conversations like that that can happen if that's helpful in your relationships. But we can decide, you know what, our, our lives are a vapor. They're here today. They're gone tomorrow. And we can choose to enjoy the most we possibly can, our relationships right now. I want to invite you to pray with me. And again, I realize that a, a sermon is, it's kind of a broadcast and you may be in a different place and for you, you might be feeling the pain of, of a broken relationship or one that you know is actively breaking right now before your eyes and, and you see you know, me say, don't let 
political dysfunction become your relational dysfunction. And that just sounds so trite. But a functional relationship, enjoying your relationships, might look like seeing a counselor. Even if the other person doesn't go, if you go, things can change. Because you have that much power, more than you realize. Even if you go, things can change. And if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling afraid, I invite you to pray with me. God, thank you for even a message that's hard to hear at first, like life is a vapor. But in hearing that message, God, we are freed to see our lives as they are. In the grand scheme of history, in, in 13 billion years of our universe's existence, our lives are temporary. They go by quickly. And that, in some strange way, frees us to enjoy what we have now, to enjoy the relationships that we have now. Just to see life in perspective. Some of us do need to set boundaries. Some of us do need to have tough conversations in order to stop the dysfunction. Some of us need to reach out and, and get involved in an online connect group or pub theology or some other group to, to build relationships and not feel isolated and alone. God, whatever it is for each of us, we are united in fighting a common enemy. And our lives really are but a vapor. And so God, give us the courage, the insight, the willingness to unite in fighting that common enemy as much as we possibly can and reduce the anxiety levels that we feel in our relationships and even see COVID-19 as an opportunity to cultivate healthier relationships. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.